Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. We're going to hear today a sermon that I preached on the occasion of our spring commencement this past spring at Beeson Divinity School. I was persuaded by several folks that I should give the sermons, the first and only time I've ever done that at a Beeson commencement. And I took as my text Hebrews eleven thirty one through twelve three about being surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. That's the theme, you know, Doctor Smith yes. of Hodges Chapel. It so is. I thought it would be an appropriate thing for the students as they're preparing to leave their studies here and go out into the service of God to be reminded of what we're surrounded with every time we enter Hodges Chapel. And I call the sermon "Through the Gates of Pearly Splendor." I listened to this sermon with great interest. Because, Dean George, you are a dean who can preach, and ungrammatically stated, but theologically and truthfully correct, you're a preacher who can dean. That's what you did. We listened to the voice of the dean as he listened to the voice of the Beeson Divinity School community. Dean George, thank you so much for that uh, profound message. Thank you for listening to the voice of the Beast of the community in the, the listening to Sherry Brown who is our director of admissions, who said that every class has a personality uh, that defines it. And then, of course, you listen to the voice of the text, and you brought the two together. Uh, the voice uh, of the text that you chose from Hebrew, Hebrews 12 and 1, and let us run with perseverance, matched the voice of Sherry Brown's analysis that this class was defined by the personality of perseverance. So you brought those two together. I think that's quite wonderful to marry uh, the community and to marry the canon of Scripture together. You open up with a um, comment made concerning Elizabeth uh, Elliot, uh, who talked about servant leadership during what you call the most unique commencement time because it was held at night. And you drew out of that your title, the title from a poem that she learned, Through the Gates of Pearly Splendor. I thought you effectively employed the sense of sight, sight in Hodges Chapel, the empty niches, and you challenged the students and said, we left some of the niches empty. Perhaps through your service, you will fill those niches after graduation. The heroes of faith, the cloud of witnesses, not only those biblical cloud of witnesses, but church historical cloud of witnesses, and perhaps some of you will be that for those that you leave behind. The negative imperatives are being married to the positive implications. Don't neglect so great salvation. Don't harden your heart. Those are negative imperatives from the text. But then you give positive implications uh, from scripture and from church history. I appreciate it, and it's so easy to follow you uh, not only this message, but all of your preaching, the outline, the structure, three banners. One, Jesus has broken through the bubble. Two, Jesus has bequeathed to us an extended family. Three, Jesus who saves us still bears the mark of the crucifixion. As you began to close the sermon to talk to us about the necessity of having the handprints of Jesus put on his hands 
in the above dome to remind us that he bears even in his body and will so in the eschaton, the marks uh, that uh, were there as a result of him being crucified. You close with an encouragement from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, for we know that uh, your work in the Lord is not in vain. Very fitting, very powerful, uh, very relevant for all of us who heard it. The sermon was preached on May the 3rd, 2019 in Hodges Chapel through the gates of pearly splendor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sherry Brown tells me that every graduating class at Beeson has its own distinctive personality, shaped in the crucible of a common lived experience. Over three, four, or more years. And that the characteristic of this graduating class, according to Sherry, is perseverance. They haven't quit. And so my first task today is to say to these wonderful graduating students, congratulations. We at Beeson all know that salvation is by grace, but graduation is by works. <laughs> and you have worked hard, you have done well, and as our text says, you have run with perseverance the race that was set before you. Today we say with family and friends and all of your dear ones, we love you, we are proud of you, Godspeed. Now, I am keenly aware that as your speaker today, I stand in a veritable successio fidelium, a succession of faithful witnesses who have spoken on such occasions to several generations of Beeson graduates over the past three decades. And I am sorely tempted to reminisce today, to recall the great speakers we have had, Pastors, professors, theologians, educators, the funny moments we have shared, the time I missed my cue in the commencement program and Dr. Westmoreland gently rescued me. But I refrain. Today I recall instead one of the most unusual commencement talks I ever heard here. It was the only time this service was held in the evening, in order to accommodate the itinerary of the speaker. It was the famous Elizabeth Elliot, and her message was about servant leadership. It was forceful and direct and challenging, but of course we all hung on her every word, not so much because of what she said as because of who she was. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot had fallen in love as undergraduates at Wheaton College. He came from a Plymouth Brethren people out in the West in Oregon. She grew up in a famous missionary family, the Howards. They both felt the call to missionary service, but in different places. Elizabeth in the South Sea Islands of the Pacific Ocean. Jim in the Amazonian jungles of South America. It's hard to make a commuter marriage work like that. Well, eventually their visions became aligned 
And they ended up serving side by side, husband and wife, among the Warani natives in the rainforests of Ecuador. On January the 3rd, 1956, Jim Elliott and four of his fellow missionaries would be speared to death by some of the very people they were trying to reach with the gospel of Christ. We knew that story from the writings of Elizabeth Elliot, which is why when we were trying to determine who the six martyrs were that would represent the six inhabited continents here in this chapel, Jim Elliot was a contender for North America. In the end, we chose Bill Wallace instead, but the life and witness of Jim Elliot continues to resonate. In 1949, long before Ecuador, Jim had written the words in his diary for which he is best remembered. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Jim Elliot loved literature and language. He was a poet. And before they were married, he taught Elizabeth a poem by one of his favorite writers, Amy Carmichael. They both learned this poem by heart. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus our spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. On the day the five missionaries left on the mission from which they never returned, they gathered for what they called morning watch, time of prayer, of scripture reading, and they sang together a hymn, the hymn we just sang here in this chapel, a hymn written in the early 20th century, and this line in particular, we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. When Elizabeth Elliot published the journals of her husband, Jim, she said she believed that Jim and the other missionaries belong to that great cloud of witnesses referred to in our text from Hebrews. And so do you. It's as though when we get to the end of that passage that uh, Dr. Matthews read to us, uh, someone has put the words, to be continued. My wife, Denise, and I love to see these historical dramas that spread out over multiple episodes and get to a really good part. And then it says, to be continued. You have to wait. Well, the story told in Hebrews is a to be continued story. And you belong to that story. You are part of its continuation. When we were designing this chapel, among other things, we noticed at one point, the architect pointed out, that above here are empty niches. We thought about filling them in because, of course, we only have 16 great saints in the cloud of witnesses, our sweet 16. But uh, we decided not to. Uh, we decided we would leave them empty. As itself sending a message that there is a place for you in the cloud of witnesses. 
a niche that has not yet been filled in, perhaps with you as the intended occupant. Now, this great cloud of witnesses text in Hebrews is really the theme for this whole chapel and in some ways our whole school. What's the matter in Hebrews? What's the problem? Have you ever noticed in reading through Hebrews how many negative imperatives there are? Don't drift away. Don't neglect so great salvation. Do not harden your hearts. Don't become sluggish. Don't shrink back. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your wobbling knees. The end of chapter 13. Do not forget to do good. I mean, there are a lot of warnings, a lot of admonitions, a lot of negative imperatives. Don't do this or that in this letter. What's the matter? What's the problem? Well, another negative imperative that we find near the end of the book says, do not be carried away with teachings, strange teachings of all kinds. Well, some of the strange teachings that had crept into the community of the Hebrews was about angels. They had developed a cult of angels bordering on worship of angels. It's strange, but I, I can kind of understand it, can't you? Angels are luminous, glowing figures. Angels do not have poopy diapers. They don't get cancer. They can't be crucified. Angels are much better for a marketing plan than a savior who was tortured and lacerated and hung out on a tree to die. Angels. And so there was not only heresy within, but there was also persecution from without. Deprivations, hardships. In the midst of this, those early Christians found themselves in a in a bubble, in a suffocating space, the world closing in on them, becoming smaller, 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 cold, lonely, unbearable. To live in a bubble means to live without transcendence. And this will lead invariably either to a barren cynicism or to a frenetic activism. There was both of those at work in this community. It was Nietzsche who said, The world's a desert stretching mute and chill, who once has lost what thou hast lost, stands nowhere still. They were busy, but barren, bereft of joy. And the result of all of this is found at the end of that text in Hebrews 12, verse 3. He commends them to look at Jesus, so he says, that you might not become exhausted and depressed in your souls. Exhaustion, depression, the twin maladies of the postmodern ministry. To counter this situation, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews sends three powerful banners of good news. Number one, Jesus Christ has broken through the bubble. 
Hebrews 8 presents Jesus Christ as the mediator of a better covenant. One who has pierced through the bubble. And now sits in heaven on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. There he has entered the heavenly sanctuary. There he intercedes for us. There he pleads and prays for us here and now. You remember what Jesus said to Simon Peter in his moment of temptation. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Jesus is still praying for his people, Hebrews says. In the liturgy we say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But that triptych leaves out something important. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ has ascended, and he will come again. Jesus Christ has broken through the bubble. His ascension has pierced the dome and let in the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit who sustains us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit who empowers us for service. Maria Mitchell was a professor of astronomy at Vassar College in the early 20th century. One of the early pioneers whose work led to the development of the Hubble Telescope which was launched in 1990. She told her students this, mingle the starlight in your lives and you won't be fretted by trifles. One of her students, Tracy K. Smith wrote, we saw to the edge of the universe so brutal and alive it seemed to comprehend us back. A second banner tells us that Jesus Christ not only has pierced through the bubble. He also, risen, ascended, has bequeathed to us an expanded, extended family. In the parable of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, we read about a great gulf that separates those in this world from those on the other side. But the ascension has bridged that gulf. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. One church, the church militant here on earth, the church triumphant, those already on the other side of those gates of pearly splendor. Jim Elliott and the martyrs sang about. Now, this chapel is one expression of that vision. And I know it's not to everyone's taste. It's not everyone's cup of tea. We once had a famous evangelical preacher whom I will not name unless you give a contribution of a thousand dollars or more. <laughs> but this preacher stood in our chapel and he looked at the murals and he looked at the dome and he said, this place gives me the willies. Well, it may give Charlie Spurgeon the willies up there in the dome or Johnny Knox here on the pulpit staring out at you. Although I'd like to think those two figures are better instructed now. <laughs> Hebrews has one of the great definitions of the church in the New Testament, one we don't pay attention to very much, but we ought to 
It's in chapter 12, a little further on than our reading took us. You have come to something that cannot be touched, a blazing fire, darkness. You've not come to darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet. But instead, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is the church. Where is this church? In the New Testament, the church is both irreducibly local and transcendently universal. It's the church down at the corner of thus and so. The church that needs somebody to pass out bulletins and mop up the bathrooms and carry a casserole to the shut-ins. But the church is also the body of Christ extended throughout time as well as space. Composed of those who by faith did mighty and miraculous things, shutting the mouths of lions, quenching the raging fires, and others. It says, unnamed, anonymous saints who by faith, no less faith than those who had great miracles and deliverances, by faith suffered dreadful things like being stoned to death, Stephen, or sawn in two, maybe Isaiah according to tradition, or pierced through with a sword or with spears. There's a remarkable thing that he says about these. And that is that all of these worthy saints who made it into the Bible, their story is not finished apart from us and our story. They're not complete by themselves. God has something better in mind. A better plan for us. That their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith are not complete apart from us. For none of them received what was promised. They saw it from afar at a distance. But here we have no continuing city. We look for one that is to come. And the saints of old are not complete without us, nor we without them. That's a part of the message of this chapel too. And even the saints of choice that we have figured here for our consideration, here in Hodges Chapel, none of them is an island unto itself. I admit it's kind of an odd collection. I don't know of any other chapel in the world where both St. Thomas Aquinas and Dr. Martin Luther stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Or John Wesley and John Calvin breathe the air of the heavenly bode above together. I'm sure that Lottie Moon would be offended at being called a saint, but there she is. There she stands, not very far from the women of the early church, the martyrs Perpetua and Felicitas and Monica, the mother of Augustine. We do not worship saints. 
We do not pray to saints. But they are translucent icons. We look through the saints so as better to see the face of Jesus Christ and his nail-scarred hands. There's a third banner. The Savior who still bears in his body the marks of his passion. Do you remember that sermon we heard earlier this semester by Dr. Frank Thielman? It was probably one of the great sermons I have ever heard in this chapel. How he pointed us to the wounds of Jesus, figured above in the painting of our dome. We construct buildings and they construct us. They shape us and form us. And when Hodges Chapel was being built, it was all the artwork was finished. We took a couple of days just to look it over before we signed off on all of what had been done here. And I remember sitting right down here and looking up at the dome and something was missing. What was missing? I noticed Jesus had no scars in his hands. And so I called our wonderful artist, the Romanian artist, to come back and... We put the scaffolding back in here. We took the perilous task of climbing up there. And we painted into the hands of Jesus the nail prints of his passion, his suffering. It's important that we not leave it out. It's a part of the great cloud of witnesses. We look through the saints to Christ, to his nail-pierced hands. So, dear persevering graduates, the class of perseverance, this is the Christ we are sending you out to follow today. And I charge you to follow wherever the Savior's love may lead. Into small country churches, into barrios and back alleys of the urban landscapes. For some of you, it may be a faraway jungle like Jim Elliot. To societies where it is illegal and dangerous to be a Christian. For some of you to struggle against injustice and evil. Some of you to the bedside of those who suffer in pain. To hospital rooms, on the battlefields, behind prison bars. We're sending you out to follow those nail-scarred hands. Wherever the love of Jesus Christ may lead you. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, remember what you have learned at Beeson Divinity School. Remember what has shaped you here. Remember this chapel and its story. Remember this service and the blessing it imparts. Dear persevering students, Be ever steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I will meet you in the morning with all the saints just beyond the gates of pearly splendor. God bless you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, 
BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.